I, I mentioned that my son came up with um, his girlfriend. Um, she's a native Las Vegas gal, never really been anywhere, born and raised there. Doesn't know the Lord at all. One of the sweetest people we've ever met. Um, and one of the nights I actually did get to share the gospel with her, clearly. And it was clear that she had never heard the gospel before, at least the real one. <laughs> and um, she asked a couple questions and um, there was a good interaction that took place. So like part, part of what I'm thinking now is if we can get her saved, like she can ambush my son. Because usually it's like, you know, women that are able to do uh, the impossible with men. And um, so anyway, her name's Kelly. If you guys want to add her to your prayers too, uh, she knows the gospel now. Uh, she's heard it. And, um, and it'd be neat to see that take root in her. In fact, one of my son's complaints in our conversations were all about the church. One of the reasons he's walked is because of just all the problems with the American church, everything that it's become about, and um, all, the, all the false stuff that goes on in the American church. And she's sitting here listening to that while we're talking, and I asked him if he had ever watched the American gospel, which if you guys have not heard of or seen the American gospel, I highly recommend it. It's a documentary that came out about a year ago. And, um, and um, I said, yeah, this is every, I looked at my son and I said, this, this documentary is basically everything that we're talking about right now. Like it addresses this stuff. And, uh, and she goes, what's it called? And she's already over there like trying to type this in. And she says, as soon as we get back, yeah, we're gonna watch this. And um, so, so, so it, it's, it's neat, it was a fruitful time. And, uh, and she got to hear the gospel too. So it'd be nice to see that take root there. Uh, pull out your weapons, um, whatever your weapon of choice is, switchblade, sword, Whatever, your Bibles, pull out your Bibles. Um, and go to James chapter 3. And this was one of those uh, texts for me this week. When I looked at it, I just, it's one of those texts that I just thought, this is not something I'm like really interested to preach in. Um, you know, some, some texts you look at and you go, um, oh yeah, we're, we're doing this. Like it just, there, there, there's, uh, there's a connection that happens, and it's something that uh, maybe you're even passionate about in the Word. Uh, this was not one of them, but just like always, when I started getting into it, um, like I, I kind of know why it didn't appeal to me too much. And, and again, it's um, there was just a lot of uh, like personal work that had to had to go on as I looked at this text this week. Uh, a lot of reflect, reflecting, a lot of examining uh, that I had to do with myself, and I and I hope that. Uh, you guys will do that today as well. Will join me in that, and that we can do it together as a church. James says some hard stuff. If you haven't come to that conclusion yet, there's some difficult stuff in this in this book. But before we start, I want you to know James, part of what's been so fun about James is that it seems very compartmentalized, like like categorized as far as the the layout. So for someone who's preaching, it it's really nice to find these little start and stop points. And yet, um, ever since the beginning of chapter two, everything is tied together. It's not like he's just jumping from one thing to another like it may seem. Um, he's, he's, he's building a, a case. Um, and that started way back in the beginning of chapter two, end of chapter one, where he says, do not be hearers only, but be doers. Um, everything that James is getting at with this book, the whole purpose is Christian conduct how we should live as the people of God um, indwelled by God. Um, what does that look like? And of course, how then shall we live is, is what we've called this. So this is, this is, this is really um, kind of marching orders for us who have Christ living in us in how to march out this life and how to walk through this world. 
and, and how to live as children of the Most High God. And um, also, um, Chad last week talked about the tongue, which was really hard. Uh, I remember sitting there just taking a beating on that one because it didn't seem like there was anything like, and this, of course, isn't Chad. This is the text that he was in. It, uh, it didn't seem like a lot positive there. It just seemed like someone was, like, had me on the ground punching me um, because I know how I am with my tongue um, and what it had to say about the tongue. Um, and, and basically what we had last week with the text that he was in about taming the tongue is the disease when it comes to the tongue. Um, it, it was basically there to show us the problem of the tongue. The section we're gonna be in today, which is wisdom from above, is the cure. So we're still on the subject of taming the tongue, but now we're actually gonna get some insight into have, having some victory over what we do with this instrument of conduct. Um, and so, uh, last week was, was basically the illness, this week's the cure. Verse 13, let's go ahead and, and, and read through uh, to the end of the chapter. Chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If we were just to do a flyover of this text, which is actually what we're going to do today, again, we're not, very rarely um, do we treat the pulpit like a Bible study because it's not. You, we just don't have time. We want to get to the heart of the text. What's being said and what, are, what does God want us to do with it is our purpose here. Um, and so we're, we're doing the flyover. And when we do a flyover of this text, here's the reality. I think it's obvious when you read through here to know that there is a spiritual battle that is raging within us every single day as Christians. And that spiritual battle exists because once Jesus has come to exist in us, there are now two opposing forces warring against each other inside of us. Anyone here experience that? In other words, when Jesus took up residence in us, a war between him, righteousness, and sin, indwelling sin, unrighteousness, comes to the forefront. Yes, it is true that our sin has been conquered. Yes, it is true that we have been forgiven at the cross. But yes, it is true that we are still sinners, that sin still exists in us. Do you, and I realize that we are equally sinner and saint simultaneously at the same time. It's one of the weirdest things. It's like trying to figure out the Trinity and fully grasp that, or figure out the hypostatic union, which is that the fact that Jesus never ceased to be God 100%, but he was also man 100% at the same time. Like those are things that we can't completely wrap our finite brains around, but they're true. And it's the same thing with you and I right now, 
where we stand as children of the Most High God, yet not glorified, is that we are sinner and we are saint at the same time. It's wild. And this is where the battle is. This is where the rub is, right? Um, So we have a present reality of still struggling with our sin, but we have a positional reality because of Christ of, of, of being forgiven, righteous, clean before God. Because this is true, the battle, a battle ensues. Think of it as the comics you, you grew up reading. I didn't because I'm not a nerd, but some of you are nerds. And so, um, <laughs> uh, so you, grew, you grew up reading these comics, right? And, and there's a staple in every um, comic book, right? Uh, between you got a hero and you got an anti-hero, right? So you got Superman and Lex Luthor, right? You got Batman and Joker. You got Spider-Man and Green Goblin, maybe? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know who that would be, but you guys get the point, right? You got good and you got evil. You got two opposing characters with two opposing agendas, one that's there to protect life, the one that's there to destroy it. Having said that, this is the basic idea concerning our text this morning in James. We have two players here. We have the hero as children of God and the anti-hero, okay? Wisdom from above versus selfish ambition, These are the two characters that are pitted against each other in this text. They do not agree. They are not friends. They are not compatible. They are enemies. And they're both competing for our allegiance every single day. Both of them are saying, come and follow me. And the truth is, we're torn. We're torn if we're honest with ourselves, because one of them is native to us. One of them is default to our thinking and our desires, and the other one is foreign to us, to our thinking and our desires. And the one that is native is often easier to follow because it's native. (laughs) It's natural. It's what we've always known. It's, It's what we've always done. The one that is foreign or new is a challenge because it requires continuous faith and, here's the hard part, self-denial. I don't know how good you are with that, but I'm not super good with it. I want to be. And boom, we have a war that rages within us. And it's a war that must be fought by the Christian, not ignored. It's a war because it will be exhausting and it will cost us something. It will cost us something. It will cost us the gratification of pride and self in the moment. This is part of the reason why Jesus says things like, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, narrow is the gate that leads to life. One is easier to enter, one is harder to enter. This is actually part of the conversation that I just had with my son one night when we were here and we were talking and I'm trying to figure out where he's at and that he still believes in Christ and relies on Christ and says that he's his everything, but he's done fighting the battle. That's basically what he told me. He said, I got exhausted. I got tired of these two opposing forces inside of me constantly competing for my allegiance. 
always wanting to do this and go this way, but knowing that God wanted me to do this and go this way. And he says, I'm just tired. I'm tired. And now I'm just letting it all go. I'm just doing what I want, were his words. And I said, thank you for being honest with me. Thank you for talking this out with me. But it's true, isn't it? If you know the Lord, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't remember before coming a Christian, before um, becoming a Christian, that battle. Once in a while I'd get convicted or I'd have like my conscience pricked about something. But for the most part, I felt free to walk in the garbage I was walking in. There was really no competing force. I just followed the anti-hero down the road because that's what's native and everything was fine. But once I became a Christian, this battle reared its head. There was a fight now. There was a war that was on. And, and this is, again, part of the, the reality of what um, we can see in this text here with James. One's gate is easier to enter, and the other is more challenging to enter. And this battle that rages within the believer is spoken of by Paul in places like Romans chapter 7, as well as Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, which says this, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are what? Against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Why? To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. That pretty much sums it up. That's the battle right there. That's the war of the Christian. Again, both sides contending for our allegiance. Having said that, verse 13 in our text, James first poses a question in verse 13, because he likes questions. I mean, if you've been with us through the series, this dude likes asking questions. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works. There's that word, in the meekness of wisdom. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Again, all of this subject, even uh, tongues and now, uh, or how we use our tongue and the taming of the tongue and even wisdom from above now, all of this is wrapped underneath the subject of faith without works is dead. Part of the way that we show our, 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 our faith works itself out is by how we use this. What comes out of this? Which is, which is really um, not good news for a lot of us. Um, I have a mouth problem, and I think a lot of you probably do too. The most common vehicle of our conduct, if you think about it, is our mouths. What comes out of the mouth, how it comes out of the mouth, how we use the mouth reveals a lot about who we are and where we're at in our lives. After all, where do those words come from? Do they, where do they originate? Do they come from the tongue? Do they come from the throat? Right? According to the Bible, they come from right here. They come from the core, the center of our being and who we are. The fountainhead of what makes us who we are, the heart. The heart is basically the rudder that steers the ship of the mouth. 
And it's what's going on in this place that takes us to places of conduct here that we end up in. Everyone with me? The reason this is oftentimes problematic is because we all know what the Bible says about the heart of man, don't we? The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Jesus says in Matthew 15, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. John Calvin once said, the human heart is an idle factory. It's a manufacturing plant for idols and idolatry. And guess what our chief idol is? Guess what our biggest golden cap is? Guess what the, the best seller is that, that gets manufactured in that idol plant? You. Me. Us. This is why we must become familiar with wisdom from above, which is a program that Jesus downloads into the hard drive of our hearts once he takes up residence in us. Praise God. Praise God that there's an option now. Praise God that we're not slaves to what's native, but that now we have something else that we can walk in, a different program. And that's really what James is getting at here. What we need to do, though, is we need to actually be able to discern what we're walking in when we're walking in it. And I think this is where James helps us today to discern. So first off, what is wisdom? What is wisdom from above? Uh, it, basically, wisdom is good judgment. If it's from above, it's, it's good judgment according to God. <laughs> it's his kind of judgment, you know? It's understanding, it's discernment. It's the ability to parse or separate righteousness from unrighteousness. What does God want of us and what's of us? What's of God and what's of us? That's basically what wisdom from above comes down to. It's the, the distinguishing of the new tapes from the old tapes, the spiritual man from the natural man. And what's the first step to obtaining a godly wisdom or a wisdom from above? Step number one, anybody? Okay. Yeah, prayer's definitely involved in it. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which implies three things. That we're convinced that he is God, and we're not. That we're convinced that he is holy, and we're not. And that we're convinced that he is present. He sees everything. He is God, he is holy, he is present. To truly fear God in this way is to really have a, a basic understanding or belief that these three things are real. And once this is a reality for us, we are now able to seek and understand wisdom from him. And the way that I work this out in my mind, because you guys know me like I'm not, I'm not an educated dude, um, so I'm, I'm a simple person that needs things explained to me in crayons instead of acrylics. And so uh, the way that I work this out is to think of a highway with two lanes, okay? And each lane, just like in real life, contains its own set of road signs, right? This is how I'm able to distinguish which lane I'm in. 
when it comes to how I'm living, when it comes to whether I'm walking in selfish ambition or godly wisdom, is by what I see the signs saying on the side of the road. Now, why do road signs exist? I mean, they're there to keep us on the road that we need to be on. They're they're there to safely get us to the destination that we're trying to get to, right? They're informational. And each of these opposing forces, wisdom from above and selfish ambition, are separate lanes that each have their own set of road signs. And they're listed by James as these, starting with destination, selfish ambition, okay? If you're in this lane, these are some of the signs that you're going to see. Verse 14, bitter jealousy, which is basically used synonymously here with selfish ambition. But bitter jealousy. Look at them. Look at who they are. Look at what they have. Look at what they're like. I should have that, not them. I should be like that, not them. It's not, just, it's not just the covetousness that wants something that they have, but it's, it's done with, with utter resentment. There is hate directed at this party because they possess or have something that you think you should have. I know none of us here have ever experienced that. Other road signs that you will see as a result of this one will be ones that say boastfulness. Boastfulness. Look at me. Don't look over there. Look at me. Look at who I am. Look at what I have. And people that are exaggerators of truth, right? Which is what boasting really does. It's to stretch the the truth. It's to embellish the truth, to puff yourself up. Each of these things come from a place of selfish ambition. And do you know where these things really come from according to James in verse 15? I mean, this is crazy. It comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. When we're walking in these things, when we're going down this lane, in this direction, on this highway, guess what we're chasing after and walking in? Guess what we're being most influenced by and ran by? As children of God, when we find ourselves walking in them, we're in the wrong lane. That's what it means. That's the point. When we find these things going on inside of us, boastfulness, a lack of truth, jealousy, bitter jealousy, we are in the wrong lane. We have changed lanes. And I know these things don't seem like too big of a deal. Everybody does them until we see what James describes them as. He describes these things as demonic, which is, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty strong. These things come directly from the pit. These things come from Satan when we walk in them. We look at ghouls and ghosts and scary images and say, that's demonic. It's like, no, those are just scary images. Like, this is what's actually demonic. 
What's truly demonic is when we're driving around in a lane of jealousy, boastfulness, and self. The absolute worst thing that James alerts us to here is that when we drive in the lane of selfish ambition, there are fruits that follow. So it's not like this, just this, this passive thing that we do, right? Oh, I'm just going to drive down this, this lane for a while. I feel like it. No, there are fruits that follow that. There are others that are affected by us driving in that lane. And these are the effects of driving in the wrong lane. Um, or the effects of driving in a wrong lane is that we leave this wake behind us. It's like, have you ever gotten, um, like, let's say, like, it's just been storming and pouring, or, or, like, all the snow has melted, like, in the springtime, and you get on the highway behind a big rig, which is the worst. Like, I've never found windshield wipers yet that, like, can get me through that scenario. Like, you have to back way off, or you have to try to get around this dude as quick as you can because of the amount, the sheer volume of junk that this rig is kicking up onto your windshield. It's dangerous. Not to mention what it does to your car. It's kind of annoying. Right? That's what it's like. Also, when we go down the wrong lane, the lane of selfish ambition, it's not just that we're walking in things we shouldn't be walking in. It's that we are actually kicking stuff up onto people that we're not meant to kick stu uh, stu that stuff up on. Uh, what am I doing right now? We're not meant to kick it up. Let's just go that way. I had two different things going and none of them, they were competing. It was a battle. So We're like big rigs at that point, right? The stuff that we do when we go down this lane does affect other people. And those things are these. Verse 16, disorder. We will leave a wake of disorder behind us. And every vile practice. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I don't think it means one thing. Like, this is a big variety of just garbage. It's a heap. As we drive on in these things, we leave behind us a path of disorder. We leave a wake of every vile practice. Chaos follows us. Disruption follows us. Meaning that we can walk into the midst of something that's orderly and peaceful, but if we're following after selfish ambition, we will shuffle it around like a deck of cards. You ever known somebody that, that has that gift, that ability? Ever done that in a relationship? Have you ever done that in a church? I've only been pastoring 10 years, but unfortunately I've seen this several times. And it's not that any of you are perfect because you're not. But there are times in the church for the most part, where we're all in the same lane, going the same direction with our eyes on Jesus, no matter how imperfect we are. And then one person comes in, and it changes the entire temperature of that congregation. There's division and divisiveness that starts. There's people that begin to think and act in ways that they didn't used to think and act. Someone comes in and shuffles the deck, and the next thing you know, that church has a split or a blow up. You guys ever seen that? That is the fruit of somebody driving in the wrong lane 
a lane that they shouldn't be drawing, driving in and everybody else being affected by it. He says every vile practice, I think when we think of vile, especially with language like we're talking about when we think of the mouth, I, I think we, we think about telling dirty, dirty jokes or cussing. And, and, I, and I, that, that could probably be included here, but that's not really probably what's meant here. Every vile practice, every vile thing. Um, it also includes anything unloving that comes out of our mouths. It can be gossip, berating somebody, being rude to somebody, tearing down basically with our mouths instead of building up. It's vile. And vile just means unpleasant, immoral, wicked, of no worth. These are all road signs that you will be seeing and reading in your life if you're driving in the wrong lane, the lane of selfish ambition. But wait, there's more. No, there's actually good news. We get to do a U-turn right now. We get to change lanes, okay? When we stay in our God-given lane, which is wisdom from above, the, the lane given to us as a result of being bought and purchased by the sinless one, the righteous one, the most wise one, the road signs will look like this. Verse 13, again, humble works, good conduct and meekness, in meekness, gentleness, not works that we blow a trumpet on every single time we perform one, not works that we bring attention to ourselves so everybody knows what it is that we've just done, which is selfish ambition, but good works and conduct that are meek, that are gentle, that are quietly kind. One of the signs we will see when we're in the lane of wisdom from above, we'll read purity, speaking pure things in a pure way to each other. Doesn't that do you good when you come across someone that does that for you? Because I tend to, to naturally be so vile inside of myself. It is refreshing when I have a brother or a sister who comes up and just gives me that Christ-like purity, just a word. It changes things. One of the signs we will see is peacefulness if we're in the right lane. So it's the opposite of what we just saw with selfish ambition, where there's disorder and destruction that follows in our wake. Peacefulness. Words of conduct that will maintain the peace and restore the peace when it's necessary. All about peacemaking. That's from above. One of the signs will read gentleness, verse 17 non-abrasive, non-aggressive. One of the signs we'll read reasonableness, not insistent, not extreme. Another sign, merciful, not wrathful, not resentful or unforgiving, not vengeful, merciful. Another sign, fruity. I don't know why I wrote that, fruity. That is in verse 17, but I don't think it says that. I don't mean like little Richard fruity. Um, good fruits, that's what we're going for. Good fruits, right? When someone, when someone takes a taste of us, it's not rotten on the inside, right? It's not wormy. It's refreshing. <laughs> Another sign we will read uh, will be impartial, 
In other words, we don't prefer one person above another. We don't play favorites with people. Another sign will be sincere, meaning not fake, not pretending, but authentic and honest. These are all road signs that we will see coming out of us if we're walking in the lane of wisdom from above. And what will they produce? What is the aftermath or or left in the wake or the path of being in this lane? Verse 18, a harvest of righteousness. That's pretty rad. A harvest of righteousness will be left behind us. So instead of the big rig kicking all that junk up onto your windshield, we're like a snowplow. We're like the ones going down the road, pushing all the junk out of the road for the people behind us. A wake of righteousness. This will be the fruit of driving in this lane, the return on that investment. In other words, by staying in this lane of godliness, we not only prove to have wisdom from above, but we radically affect the people and the world around us. Actually, that happens with either lane. It's just one is going to radically affect them towards God and the other against them. We bestow blessing in wisdom from above upon others while blessing the name of God in which these things exist. We bring glory to his name. We bring honor to his name. We put him on display before others when we drive in this lane. And I know that this all sounds so simple and so straightforward, so why do we have such a difficult time performing it? And so we come right back to the battle, right? Why do we have such a hard time staying in our lane? And the reason is because it's hard. It takes work. We were talking the other night, one of the things that that me and my son were talking about was just divorce rates and things that are just going through the ceilings these days. Out of control. Suicides, alcoholism, divorce, you name it. We were talking about marriages. And it's that nobody seems to fight anymore for their relationship. No one seems to fight. The fight is gone. As soon as anything gets difficult, we just drop our stuff and walk. But not you and me. Because we have somebody who could have dropped everything (laughs) because of the way he was treated and walk. And he didn't. Jesus endured all things for the sake of you and I. And I feel like a hypocrite if I don't in turn walk in that. And that's not the only reason I want to. I want to because he loved me so much. Because it was his love that propelled him to do for me what he did. And therefore, I want, I want to experience that same type of love towards others. I want to dispense the same thing to everybody else around me, but I don't know how. Even when I try so hard, it's imperfect, and then I want to give up because I can't do it right. And I think that's where the lie is. You're, you're never going to tackle this thing completely, right? So you might as well just stop trying. That's where my son is right now. I'm, I, I'm, I'm never... I never ultimately got over this thing. Every time I thought that I had victory over this thing in my life, it just reared its head again down the road. And it's like, I guess I don't. And at some point you just get so irritated that I think you just lay down. But you and I are not called to lay down. 
We're called to stay in the game. We're called to fight the good fight. It gets challenging and tiring. And the, and the hard thing is it's just against the grain, overwhelmingly, of our remaining love for ourselves. And so we cheat and we indulge on occasion. And we end up in head-on collisions with God and others because we change lanes. But it's irritating. I'm completely lost. The answer to his glory at our good is to kill ourselves. And I think you know what I mean. We're not going to drink Kool-Aid and wait for the mothership to come by. I mean, right? The solution to this battle is to continually put ourselves to death because that's where true joy is found. And we have to do it over and over and over again. This is actually what Jesus has invited you and me to. Do you realize that? When he called us out of the world and said, come and follow me, he's, in, he's inviting us to die to ourselves. This is why we have shirts that say, come and die. That's what they mean. It's where they come from. We're invited to die to ourselves. This is why the gate is narrow. This is why not many people follow Jesus. This is why many people walked away from Jesus when he was on earth after hearing him talk. They were unwilling to do what it is that he was asking them to do. And what that is is to crucify themselves, to pick up their cross every day, right? Jesus did not only come to save us from sin, he also came to save us from self, that we may have life abundantly, right? Which doesn't mean houses, cars, and vacations to the magic kingdom. That's not what abundant life means. Abundant life is life full of joy and full of peace in the fellowship of the Father because we're denying ourselves. It's doing life his way with him. And when we do put Christ, when we do him first, when we do wage war with sin and self and manage to forfeit ourselves in order to walk in wisdom from above, <clears throat> do you have any idea, dear Christian, what's being constructed in you? It's not for nothing. It hurts, it's foreign, and it's irritating, but it's not for nothing. Uh, this Bible teacher, Richard Sumi, said this, and I came across it this week and I loved it. Life on earth would not be worth much if every source of irritation was removed. Yet most of us rebel against the things that irritate us and count as heavy loss what ought to be rich gain. We are told that the oyster is wiser that when an irritating object, like a grain of sand, gets under the mantle of his shell, he simply covers it with the most precious part of his being and makes it into a pearl. The irritation that it was, that it was causing, is stopped by encrusting it with a pearly formation. 
A true pearl, therefore, is simply a victory over irritation. Every irritation that gets into our lives today is an opportunity for pearl culture. The more irritations the devil flings at us, the more pearls that we may have. We need only to welcome them and cover them completely with love, that most precious part of us, and the irritation will be smothered out as the pearl comes into being. What a store of pearls that we may have, if we will. That's pretty cool. The sinner saint reality, my brothers and sisters, our internal battle for righteousness is that which God is using to produce in us an eternal reward. Do you understand that? We are being conformed and we are being transformed through the irritations into something that will never irritate us again. This is what he's creating in us through our battle and our weariness in competing against ourselves. A grain of sand being transformed into a pearl of great price. And he's a maker of pearls in the business of transformation. Production. I was extremely convicted looking at this this week because I didn't realize how many times, how, how much of my life and how much of my days I spend driving in the wrong lane. And it's really nice to acknowledge that there are signs that we could look at to help us stay in the lane that we need to be in. And what's also really cool is that God allows us U-turns because he's a good, merciful, patient, long-suffering God. He's always calling us back to the right lane. He's not saying, ah, you're in the wrong lane, deal with it. He's always saying, why don't you come back over to this lane, right? And the signs that we see tell us which lane we're driving our life in. And praise God that he's just so, um, um, again, so, so patient and long-suffering with us to invite us back into a safe lane that we can glorify him in and that we can be blessed in and that we can bless others in. It's a great thing. Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for um, James and his heart. Thank you for um, everything that he has been showing us. Uh, in this book, um, thank you, Lord, that that you you don't just give us um, these lofty ideas, these vague ideas of how to follow you, but you actually um, give us practical ways to know how to do that. Just like in this text today, so help us to examine ourselves often. Um, help us to. Um, to know who we are, to know who you are, um, and to read the signs. Help us to drive with our eyes open so that we may fully and completely glorify you um, as much as we possibly can. Give us that desire, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.